Hello, I'm Owen. Welcome to Wellspring Baptist Church Podcast. We're glad you're listening. For more information on all that's going on at Wellspring, please visit www.wellspringbaptistchurch.org. I hope this message is a blessing to you. this morning, we're going to take a look at the results, the results of the resurrection. So last Sunday we had a resurrection Sunday, I am the resurrection and the life. And so what happened? 
What was the results of that? What was the results of of Christ's death and resurrection ascension? And the evidence is found here in this, um, this book of Acts. You know, the book of Acts was written by um, Luke. And um, you could almost call Acts second Luke. He wrote the, Luke wrote the, the gospel of Luke first. And with that, that ended in the um, resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ. And second Luke, the book of Acts, if you will, uh, begins where he left off with Christ being with his disciples that 40 days and showing himself to them and, and um, his ascension into heaven. Luke was, a, he, he was equipped uh, uniquely to write this book. He was called by the Apostle Paul the beloved physician. He, he was a physician and he was a, he was a great blessing to the Apostle Paul, who had physical needs, um, but he was also a great blessing to the early church. As he traveled with the Apostle uh, uh, to evangelize the lost and to plant churches, um, he had firsthand accounts of the things that are written here in the book of Acts. Matter of fact, you know, Luke, the beloved physician, was with the Apostle Paul, all the way to the end. Um, you know, Paul had sent Timothy and Titus and different folks to minister, and as he writes back to Timothy at the end of his life, Paul, you know, that where he says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready to be offered, my time of departure is at hand, I've fought a good fight, i finished. When he writes all that, a couple verses after that, you know what he says? Uh, only Luke is with me. At the end of his ministry, he said, hey, uh, you know, after all this ministry that I've done, and of course, Many of his friends were ministering other places. But he says, the only one that's still with me, the only one that's been faithful to the end, is the beloved physician, Luke. So Luke takes it upon himself to account all the... I like to look at the book of Acts like the, the, the journal of the early church. We keep a journal of Wellspring. Folks have been saved, significant events, baptisms, all that sort of stuff. And I, I, like, I like to think of the, the book of Acts... In that way of the journal of the early church. And again, like I said, he started with, he starts with Christ being on earth after his resurrection, those 40 days, and tells his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit that would empower him, power them for the ministry that they were called to to, uh, fulfill. He says, when I ascend, the Holy Spirit will come, right? And he says that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be what? Witnesses, You'll be witnesses, both in, in, in Jerusalem, that's where they were. It's going to start there in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and eventually all the way to Waynesville. That's what he said. He said that the gospel is going to spread and everybody's going to eventually have a chance to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he ascends into heaven. And if you read that passage, you know that the disciples are standing there. I mean, try to picture that. You know, he commissions them and then just the disciples are watching them go. And the Bible says that the angels there told them, why stare ye up into heaven? Hey, the Lord is going to come back the same way that he ascended. He's going to come back in that same 
uh, in that same way. And you'll never believe what happens next. You'll never believe what happens next. Sometimes I wish we could just read the Bible as if we'd never heard any of it. We have the benefit of, of seeing the church, I mean, and the results of the resurrection. But could you imagine the church, both Jew and Gentile alike, worshiping God and, and being one in the body of Christ? This, is, this had never happened before. This had never happened before. This is the result. The church, the local church and the church, each and every believer, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter, uh, who is in Christ. That was not before. That had never happened before. That's the result of the resurrection. And so the disciples, they're there awaiting, awaiting, just as he said for them to do. And, and it was on that Jewish feast day, which is so significant, Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit did come. The promise, Holy Spirit did come. It's interesting because so many sojourners, Jewish people from different nations, born in different places, had traveled to Jerusalem to observe this Jewish feast day, Pentecost. And that day when the Holy Spirit came upon Peter and the other disciples, they stood up, bold Peter, the one that had denied Christ. Bold Peter stood up in front of in public and preached Christ crucified and the resurrection and the miracle of tongues happened at that moment. Those people heard. The Bible says they heard them in their own language, the language what they had been born in. What a miracle. And and with that miracle they believed in the gospel and the Bible says that there was 3000 that were saved. That were added to the church. And it continued. The Bible says they continued to worship together and preach. And, and, and that the Lord added to the church daily. Such as should be saved. By the way, it's God that adds to the church. Our programs, our, all that sort of stuff. It's the Lord that adds to the church. This is his church. And just like that, just like that, the church was born. And I like to think of it like that, born, instead of the church was established. Because it's something that happens that's supernatural. It's something that God does. The church is living. It's, it's alive. It's growing organism. It's not an organization. Now, we should be organized. I get that. And the Bible tells us in Corinthians that do everything decently and in order. But let me say this. It is possible to be completely organized, but not alive, spiritually speaking. You could have an organization that's very organized with a lot of order, but without the Holy Spirit's power and without the Holy Spirit's work. So what we need first, before the organization, before the order, you know what we need first? We need the Holy Spirit to truly convert the lost sinner and bring sinners to the knowledge of Jesus Christ to be saved. That is the church, by the way. It's not the building. The church is those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and begin to grow and to begin to work. This is the work of the resurrection. This is it. Through Christ. See, we have the Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's the works of Christ, his life and his ministry, his death, burial, resurrection. But it didn't stop there. Christ is still at work in the world today. I got to make that announcement. Christ is still at work in the world today. You say, who is he working through? Us. 
now. It's the acts of the disciples. It's the acts of the, those that have the Holy Spirit inside of them, working in them and through them, which makes us part of this story. Makes us. I believe that about the book of Acts. I believe that, you know, there was no conclusion to the book of Acts. The journal of the church is still being written. And you and I are a part of it. Actually, this is my, my personal belief, is that we're an exciting part of it. And the part that, just as the first 30 years, uh, you have all of them that started the church. We, we, I think many would agree, we're probably in the last 30 years. We're getting, we're getting close to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it might be us who is there at the end of the church as the Lord resurrects us and takes us to, to be with Him as He returns to call us home. I think that's interesting that we're a part of it. We're a part of the church. We're a part of this story. I like that the title. The Acts of the Apostles. Right? The Acts of the Apostles. See, faith... Faith, true faith, requires action. True faith requires action. And this church, and this church, and that church, the early church, was called to live by faith. Was called to operate by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. It was not the good intentions of the apostles, was it? It was not the wishes and the hopes and the dreams of the apostles. You know what is recorded in the book of Acts? What they did. What they did. The actions. What they, what, they, what they preached. And who was born again. And how the churches were established and started. And so this morning, as we talk about the results of the resurrection, I just picked a little piece of the book of Acts for us to look at this morning and uh, to, to learn from. And say, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. We're going to read a little passage here. Start in verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch. So you know this, that there was a persecution in Jerusalem. Uh, a part of which Saul of Tarsus was consenting to the death of Stephen, which caused the believers to scatter, the 12 tribes to scatter throughout, you know, all, all over. And so they are, they are uh, scattering, but with that went the gospel, which was what they were originally called to do. It says, verse 20, And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, the Gentiles, Preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came to the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad. And exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. For he was, Barnabas was, a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. 
and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. (laughs) When we start this passage in verse 19, it says that there was persecution and there was preaching. They were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you, many times uh, these things go hand in hand. You know, I personally don't try to offend people. But the preaching of the gospel at times and the preaching of the word of God at times does offend people. The word of God, the truth of the word of God does not bend. It is truth. It is, there's no gray area. Let me say it this way. There's no two ways to God. There's no two ways to God. There is one way to God and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no two ways to build your life. On the Lord Jesus Christ. No, there's one way on the rock, which is to hear God's word and to do it. There's no two ways about it. And so with that, just like then, there are times where people are offended and there's persecution that comes. But they continued to preach. They began to preach to the Grecians, which were to the Gentiles. And the Bible says here that many believe. I find that that was interesting in verse 21. It says the hand of the Lord was with them. I thought of this, you know, the... The word of the Lord was in their mouth and the hand of the Lord was upon them. And what was the result of that? Many believers, many, a great number, it says, a great number of them believed. And so this is happening. Word gets back to Jerusalem. Word gets back to that first church that was established, born. And and Peter and James and all of them are there. They say, hey, we need someone to go to Antioch to help. Be a blessing to this church that started. And so guess who they pick? They pick Barnabas. They pick Barnabas. Now Barnabas is a special individual. A blessing to the early church. As you start to learn about his life, he's brought up in Acts chapter 4. Let me read two verses here. Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and verse 37. And Joseph, who by the apostle was surnamed Barnabas. So Barnabas, Barney, was his nickname. That was his nickname. That's what the apostles called him. Why? Because what did it mean? Which it says, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. He was an encourager. He was a comforter. He was someone that could encourage other people. A Levite. Now the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' So here at the very beginning, early in his life, he's called an encourager. He's an encouraging person. He had Cyprus as an island. And so he had island property that he sold to be a help and a blessing to the early church. And, and, and throughout his whole life, he is called an encourager, an encourager. We'll, we'll study some more about it. I mean, even here, it's defined, he is defined as a, verse 24, he's defined as a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. I got to thinking, you know, what more could you say? That's pretty good, isn't it? A good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And, and so he is who they send to this newborn church, this Freshly born church. They send Barnabas. And what does he do when he gets there? 
Verse 23, we read it. It says that when he came, he had seen the grace of God and was what? Glad. You know, he was just, he was, he was an encourager, but he was encouraged to see what God was doing in saving the Gentiles, in, in converting these believers. And it says he was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart that they should cleave unto the Lord. He was glad. You know what he did? He came into this church and he worshiped with them. He encouraged them. He didn't he wasn't a wet blanket. Uh, he didn't I don't think overburden them with a bunch of stuff. You know what he did? He said, "Hey, I want your hearts to be right with God." Hey, cleave unto the Lord. Purpose with all your heart. Be committed with all your heart unto the Lord. He encouraged them that way. I think that he was the right person to be sent to this early church. From Jerusalem, I think he was the right person to be a help and a blessing to the church. What I find is interesting as we read this, he comes to this church, sees what God's doing there. He's worshiping with them. He's exhorting them, encouraging them like he like everyone knew he would. Right. Because he was an encourager. And and while he's there, he said the Bible says that he verse 24, um, no, verse 25, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Saul. When I read this, I, 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 I picture it this way. Barnabas is in the church. He sees the grace of God at work. I mean, it's beautiful, right? The grace of God at work in all the believers. Sees the grace of God at work in converting the lost sinners to Christ. And he sees that. And all of a sudden, you know what pops in his mind? You know who needs this? You know who needs this? That crazy Pharisee called Saul of Tarsus. That's who needs to see this church. That's who needs to be a part of this church. And he says, I wonder, oh, that's right. Saul, Saul's out there in, in Tarsus. He goes, you know what? I think I'll go get him. I think I'm going to go get Saul of Tarsus and bring him back to this church at Antioch. I think that this church will be a blessing to Saul. And I think that, that, that Saul himself would be a blessing to him, which is ironic if you think about it, because we already read in verse 19 that the whole reason of this church was there was persecuted Jews that had left Jerusalem and had gone out and started preaching. Right. Beginning with who? The persecution of who? Stephen, who was consenting to Stephen's death? Saul of Tarsus. So it's interesting that this is how, how this thing is uh, working out. And I, I think that Barnabas is a special person in the life and ministry of Saul of Tarsus. He was there at the beginning when, um, when Saul was converted. And he knew the special call on Saul's life. He knew that the Lord had told Ananias that Saul was a chosen vessel. To declare his name to the Gentiles. That's what the Lord says in, in chapter 9. Matter of fact, go, just go to chapter 9 of Acts. And so Barnabas knows this special call on his life. And so, you know, Saul lived uh, zealously. He was zealous when he was a Pharisee. And so when he became a believer, you know what he was? He was zealous again. And so he trusts Christ as a savior. He's baptized, and you know what he begins to do immediately? He begins to start preaching. Um, look at verse, uh, verse 20. This is right after Paul's baptism. This is right after his conversion and baptism. 
verse 20 of Acts chapter 9. It says, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. And as you continue to read those couple verses, 21, uh, 22, 23, 23 says that the Jews took counsel to what? Kill him. You see that? Verse 23 and verse 24. But their laying await was known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. <laughs> and the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. And so we've joked about this before, you know, uh, how, how did it go? How was Saul's first time preaching the gospel? Well, you know, not very well, you know, not very well. You said, how was, how did people receive your message, uh, Saul? Well, uh, I had to sneak out of the city by being let down by a basket so they didn't kill me. I don't know how, you know, the first time you've ever spoke how it went, but I guarantee it wasn't as bad as Saul's first time. They hated him, right? It didn't go well. And so Barnabas comes and finds him. Look at verse 26. This is interesting, verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples that were, uh, but they were afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. So he, he comes to Jerusalem. He goes, I'm going to join myself to that local church there. And they're like, uh-uh, no. We know who you are. We know that you consented to Stephen's death. We know that you have the authority to haul men and women to prison, and you've done it. And you're not going to be a part of our assembly. You're not going to be a part of our church. We don't trust you. We don't believe you. Verse 27. But Barnabas. Isn't that interesting? But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how that he had seen the Lord in the way. And that he had spoken to him and how that he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Can you picture this Barnabas? Saul's, he's shunned by all the church. And Barnabas comes who had a great testimony from the very beginning as an encourager, as a help. And he comes and puts his arm around Saul of Tarsus and walks in to Peter and to James or whoever. The apostles there. And he says, he's with me. I vouch for him. Yes, he's persecuted the church in the past. Yes, you don't trust him. Yes, you don't believe him. But I, I vouch for Paul. I, I vouch for him. He's my friend. I'm, I'm bringing him into this assembly. It still didn't go all that well for him. Uh, Saul continues to preach. In verse 29, he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and, and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him. Still, they're trying to kill him. And verse 30, it says, which when the brother knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Verse 31, then had the church's rest. I, I don't know why, if that's really the context of what they're trying to say, but I find some humor in this. Is like Saul of Tarsus was so zealous and so gung-ho and so like, ah, so whatever. It's like they're, they finally say, you know what, Saul, you need to go back to Tarsus. And when he goes back to Tar Tarsus, the whole church goes, Whew. Oh, wow, that guy was crazy. You know what I mean? This is, I mean, we have troubles, but Paul magnifies them. You know, I mean, he's a little too wild. He's a little too zealous. He's a little too much. And Barnabas is like, yeah, he's got some growing to do. He's got to grow in some grace. He's got to learn some things. He's got to be knocked down a couple pegs. Yeah, he's real zealous. He's pretty bold. He's probably a little arrogant. Uh, he'll get knocked down a little bit. 
And the Bible says that they sent him off to Tarsus. And we don't hear from him. Now he's got a great call in his life. God said that he was a special, a chosen vessel to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But yet now he's seemingly, in my, my way I read this, he's sidelined in Tarsus. He's not fulfilling his calling. He's not doing the acts, the acts. He's sitting there in Tarsus. And you can study it out and try to figure out how many years, but it was years. It wasn't a couple days. He's in Tarsus. And Barnabas shows up to this awesome little church that's being birthed in Antioch. It's being filled up with Gentiles. And it just pops in his head. You know who needs to be here? You know who needs to see this? You know who this would be a blessing to if they got to be a part of this church? Saul of Tarsus. He goes, I'm going to go find Saul. I mean, I know that he, he wasn't well received in Jerusalem. <laughs> he didn't get along well with the Christians there. And he's, but I bet you he's changed a little bit, sitting on the sidelines for a little while. I bet he's calmed down some. I bet he uh, has some more wisdom, has some more grace. And Barnabas says, let me go see where, ta- where, where, where Saul of Tarsus is. And he goes, the Bible says, and finds him and gets him. I think that that's interesting. The Bible says that Paul and or Saul and, and Barnabas stay there at Antioch for a whole year, worshiping with this church, being involved in this church, getting involved in the people's lives. And let me just say this. Barnabas was right. Why was he right? He, well, he was full of the Holy Ghost, right? And a man of faith. After Barnabas and Saul spent a year with this little church in Antioch, Chapter 13 of Acts, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit separated Paul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry. And guess what that started? That started Paul the Apostle's ministry in starting churches and evangelizing the lost throughout the Gentile world. I, I find that this church was a great blessing to the Apostle Paul. And Barnabas was able to find him and say, hey, I believe that if he would come to, into this church and to be a part of this assembly, this would be a help and a blessing to prepare Paul for the next 30 years of his ministry and preaching the gospel and starting churches. This church, I'm trying to make a point, in Antioch that was started and birthed like this was a great place. This was a great place for new Christians to grow. This was a great place for the lost sinners to re. re Uh, realize their need of salvation and be converted. This was the place. This was the place where believers were first called Christians. Where believers were first called Christians. Look, Look back at verse 26. By the way, that was the introduction. Long introduction. Really short message now. They called us Christians. That's the name of the, that's the, name of the message. <clears throat> Acts chapter 11, verse 26. When they had found him, they brought him to Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves in the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. They were called Christians first. You know, uh, I hope that Christian... To be called a Christian doesn't lose its, its, um, 
its uh, importance in our lives. I don't think that they, this was not what the believers called themselves. This is what the world called the believers. I think that you think we should think of that. This is what the, the, the world called them. They called them Christians. And I don't think that it was like in a nice way. I think it was derogatory. I think those are the Christians, right? Those are those people, those people. And, and you know, sometimes we can get that still today. I had a story back when I was working for a, a builder, a home builder. And we, would build, we would build some uh, spec, spec homes, homes that we'd completely finished before they'd sell. And customer comes in and buys a spec home as is. And after they move in, they wanted a, uh, uh, a, a lot of earth brought in, a lot of uh, uh, dirt brought in to change the whole uh, yard in the way it was. Not because there was a problem with it, just because they decided that they wanted that. I, as a supervisor project manager, was to go between, between the customer and the owner. And long story short, the owner says, no, we're not going to do it. So the customer's trying all these different things, you know, with me, telling me. And I, I just have to keep saying, no, no, they're getting pretty angry as this is going on. And finally, the, the, they say to me, the lady over the phone says to me, and you call yourself a Christian. And I thought, wow, that really changes everything. <laughs> that ended up becoming a joke, actually, throughout our office. You know, if anybody didn't get what they wanted, they would say to the, each other, and you call yourself a Christian. Like, you won't bring dump truck loads of dirt over here, and you call yourself a Christian, you know? Yes, but what's that, you know? I don't think that that's what this was. I don't think that that's what this was. They were were derogatory. This was something that they were looking down on them. I think a lot of people have a lot of different ideas of what a Christian is or what they should be. Don't you think that? That there, there is a lot of different things that they think. But this was something that they were so different. You say, what were they different? They were like Christ. That's what Christian means. There was a group of people all of a sudden that started to live, what? Like Christ. So they called them Christians. They called them. They lived differently. Peter and Paul, both in their letters, called Christians to live peculiar lives. Peculiar in the sense of, that. well, he even says, peculiar, zealous of good works. Like excited about doing good, good works. Peculiar in the way that they act. Peculiar because of their faith. Peculiar because of their lack of the fear of death. Peculiar because they became a light in a dark world. You know, me, I, myself, I don't want to be called by someone else's name in that sense, other than Christian. You know, sometimes they throw stuff around, you know, people call themselves. I don't want to be called after Calvin's name as a Calvinist or Luther's name, a Lutheran or Campbell's name as a Campbellite or any of those things. I think that that was a, a mistake back in the early church and it's a mistake today. You know, Paul, Paul dealing with the problems in Corinth, he says, uh, you know, they were they were starting to follow humans. And you know what Paul says? Am I of a Paul? Am I of Apollos? Am I of Cephas? That's a mistake to start calling ourselves, hey, I'm following this person or I'm following that person. Huge mistake. Paul said, is Christ divided? 
Was it Paul that died for you? Right? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? The answer to that is no. So we shouldn't be, we shouldn't as, as be wanting to be uh, named after other people that were following them. No. We have an honor to be called a Christian. And that's what we are. We're, we're followers of Jesus Christ. And let me just say this. We wear that as a badge. Not of pride, but of honor. A badge of honor. That the highest calling, no matter what, what title that we could ever achieve. That the greatest thing that could be said about us. And whether they mean it derogatory or not. Is to be called a Christian. They could be called a Christian. You know the Christians at Antioch. They were not called. You know. You had a good man from Jerusalem come named Barnabas. But you know what? They weren't following Barnabas. You had the apostle to the Gentiles show up and was a part of their congregation for a full year. Paul the apostle. They weren't followers of Paul. You know what the world called them? Followers of Christ. Followers of Jesus Christ. And Christian, we should never lose sight of that. That that is a privilege, that that is an honor, that we are followers of Christ. They started thinking, why did they call them Christians? First and foremost, it's because of who they worshipped. It's because of who they worshipped. They were not, like I said, worshipping a a man. They were not worshipping a human. They were worshipping Jesus Christ. They were followers of Jesus Christ. They weren't following Peter, who was probably the leader in the church at Jerusalem. They weren't following him. No, they were following the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's who they worshipped. They noticed not just who they worshipped, but how they worshipped. They worshipped different. You know, they were sincere. I think this is so important for us as Christians to be very sincere in our worship. You know, Barnabas was an example of that, being able to give sacrificially for the help of the church, for the furtherance of the gospel. Stephen gave sacrificially when he gave his life. James, many men and women of the early church were arrested and beaten for the cause of Christ. You say, what is that? That's worship. It shows that they were sacrificially, sincerely able to worship. I don't know, you know, No matter what derogatory thing they could have said about Christians, here's the thing. And I've said this about our young people, too, as Wellspring. No matter, you know, what the kids, our our kids, when they grow up, move away, they can say a lot of things about us. Hey, we weren't perfect. We made mistakes, all this this different stuff. But But help them never to say that they were not sincere, that we truly did believe God, that we truly did love God. And I don't think the world, when they looked at those believers at Antioch, I don't think any of them ever thought, you know, they may have said some bad things, but you know, they never said, those people are playing church. They're playing religion. I don't think they're really all that devoted. No, they saw them, and when they trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, you saw when they were putting the, the boys' uh, names up there, and, and, and so this last time we were there, we baptized a couple of the boys. They, they'll change their names in India from a Hindu God's name, if that's what they have, to a Christian name when they're baptized. They pay a price. They pay a price to be a Christian. They're willing to sacrifice. Uh, Jiva, you saw there, it said Jiva, and they changed his name. is Joel now that he's been saved and baptized. 
They pay a price. I, here's what the they world saw about those Christians. They may have been able to say anything, but you know what they didn't say? I, I don't think they're really committed. I think they're kind of like wishy-washy. No, they said those people are committed. They're all in. They get persecuted for preaching the gospel, and then you know what they do? Keep preaching. They keep preaching. Pope Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Hey, if we are to suffer for the cause of Christ or for the name of Christ, don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of that. What a privilege. He suffered for us. We, we, we studied that just recently as he hung there on the cross in great humiliation. He did that for the joy that was set before him. He did that for us. And if we ever get a chance to suffer for the name of Christ, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Why? Because we, are, we, get, we get to call ourselves Christians. You've heard this before. You've heard this saying before. If you are arrested for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? That's an interesting thought, isn't it? They called them Christians. I think they called them Christians because they saw how they treated each other. It was different. The Christians treated each other differently than the world would treat each other. You know, for the first time, for the first time, and I can't, I don't think we can overstate the miracle of this. Both Jews and Gentiles worshiping together in one body, in one church. Wow, what, a, what an amazing thing. And you know what the world saw? The Gentiles said, wow, look at this. Something's different. The way they treat, and then they, they call each other brother and sister in Christ. Isn't that amazing? There's something different about this. They saw how they treated each other, how they had love and unity, how they loved one another. You, you know that the word got out when Saul showed up there at that church. You know the word got out and said, you know who, you know who they allow in there? The same guy that was persecuting them in Jerusalem. The same guy that had arrested some and even killed some of their brothers. And now they let him in the church. And not just in the church, but they're going to send him out as a preacher of the church. They're going to send him out to preach the gospel. Wow, something's different about these folks. There's something's different about them. I think not just how they treated each other, but they were different in how they interacted with the world. The people were different in how they interacted with the world. They were trying to reach the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ. They had that message of salvation. And they were not trying to win people to themselves. They weren't trying to win them to themselves. You know what they were trying to do? Lead them or win them to Christ. To show them the true way of the gospel. I thought it was interesting when Paul later throughout his, at the end of his ministry, he's arrested. And he's going through the judicial system and going through each of the courts all the way to eventually before Caesar. And as he's going through the, the system, he stood uh, before King Agrippa and Festus, right? And he had to give an account for why the, why the you know, Jews were really wanting to uh, have him arrested and killed. And he goes in before King Agrippa, and the Bible says he's in bonds, so he's in chains. 
And he steps up before him and he's able to give his own, um, his own defense. And he said, I think myself happy. He said, I am, I am happy today to stand before you, uh, King Agrippa. Why? Because I can tell you my own personal testimony of how that I was a Pharisee and how that I was persecuting the church and how that I met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and how that he changed my heart and he changed my life. And I am a different person. In these last so many years, I've given my life, I've given my, my everything to preach this gospel of Jesus Christ, the very thing that I used to persecute, the very thing that I used to hate. And he gives the whole gospel to King Agrippa through his own testimony. And at the end of which, King Agrippa says some of the saddest words in the Bible. Acts 26, 28 and 29. And, King, uh, and Agri- then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You know, I, I, I think King Agrippa, still Christians are, they're Christians. Those Christians. Can you, can you the, the derogatory, those Christians, they're less. They're, they were persecuted, so they didn't have the great positions of power. They didn't have the great jobs. They didn't have the great wealth. They didn't have all that sort of stuff back when they were persecuted like that. And so King Agrippa thought those Christians, he had to. But then when he heard Paul's testimony, and he heard about the grace of God and the salvation of God and the hope that Paul had of eternal life. You know, that sounded pretty good to him. He thought, wow, nobody else has a message like this. Nobody else has answers like this. I've never met a Pharisee that was changed like this. I've never met someone who was like this. And he weighed the two. He weighed the two and he said, I like the message of salvation. I like all that it offers. I like that. That sounds good. But I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to, I don't want to have that name. I, I almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul, his response to him, he said, I would to God. And you got to think that when he said that, I think, standing there, I picture him there in the chains and in the bonds. I, I, I guarantee he said this in a very passionate way. I would to God. That not only thou, but all thou that hear me this day. And you got to assume there were, the courtroom was full. He says, we're both almost and all together such as I am, except these bonds. He said, I wish to God that you would, you would know, like we sang about that, that amazing grace, my chains are gone. Paul was the freest man in that room. Paul knew that he was the freest man. He was the only one in chains. He was the only one in bonds. But Paul knew with all the confidence in the world that he was the only one in that room that was free, that was truly free from sin and from death. And he said, listen, this is how I want to. And, I, and you know, that was the early church. That's how the early church thought about and dealt with the lost. It wasn't them against us. It was how can we reach them with the gospel? That's how can we reach them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? He said he should have hated them. They put him in chains. They, bond, they put him in, in bonds. They were going to kill him, and they did. You know what was important to him? 
I think myself happy. Why? I get to preach the gospel to you today, King Agrippa. You have to hear me out because I got my chance to speak. Right? That's how the church, the early church, thought about the lost world. That's how we should think. That's how we should think. Should we, should we ever get an opportunity? What would we say? Would we, would we defend ourselves? Would we go off into some other tangent? What would we do? You say, well, my life was on the line. I must defend myself. Paul said, my life's on the line. I must preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. My life's on the line. I must, not just must, I am happy to do this. This is the early church. The power and the strength and the boldness to preach the gospel, no matter what the cost. King Agrippa said, almost, almost. What sad words. You know what else I believe that the church thought about them? The church, the, this early church when they called them Christians? They anticipated the future. They anticipated. While most of the world's afraid of the future. Not Christians. Is that true? Not true Christians. We're not afraid of the future. If you're afraid of the future uh, this morning, you haven't read the whole book. It gets really good. We got a bright future. A very bright future. And from the very beginning, you know, those were bleak days for the early church. They were persecuted. They were imprisoned. And they were killed. But yet, they had a blessed hope. They had a bright future. They knew, they knew that the Lord was coming back. Even from the very beginning, they were anticipating the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. They knew that he was preparing a place for them. They knew that when they died, that they would be with him for eternity. They had a unique anticipation for the future. No matter what, how dark the world got around them. You know, I, you know the world had to look at them and say, these people are a little different. They don't seem to be as interested as we are on earthly things. Yeah, they have earthly things. Yeah, they work and they provide for their family and they have, yeah. But they don't seem like their hearts are set on it. It seems like for this group of people, their hearts are set on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. That this group of people is a little different as we are, is this world is all we have. All that we can accumulate, all that we can have. But there's a group of people out there that just, their hearts are set on something else. Their hearts are set on eternal things. Their affections are elsewhere. Wouldn't that make a difference in the world? I'm, I'm using this message this morning to stir us up as a church. I think God's blessed us as a local church, Wellspring. We are, I think it's wonderful. I'm maybe a little biased, but I think it's wonderful. But this is what our desire should be, like that church at Antioch. Amen. That the world would look at us and say that they are Christians. We don't have to go out and tell them. Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I wear a Christian shirt. You know, I'm a Christian. No, they say, no, I get it. You're different. They're different. They're just different. If I ever read the Gospels and heard about what Jesus Christ is like, that's what those people are like. They're Christians. They're Christians. And you know what? It would be a good church for the new believers. It would be a good church for someone to come in and hear the gospel and be saved and begin to grow as a Christian. It would be a good church for even someone who was a little uh, uh, zealous, a little crazy, a little wild like Saul of Tarsus to come in and get established 
and to be able to find a place to grow, to be able to be sent out to preach the gospel and really change the world. They were first called Christians at Antioch. And they're still called Christians today. We're still called Christians today. You say, why? Because of who we worship. That's why we're called Christians. It's because of who we worship. It's because of how we worship. We're sincere. It's because of how we treat each other, right? It's because of how we treat one another, how we interact with the world. It's how we anticipate the future. Maybe not trying to tell the world that we're a Christian, but to show the world through our what? Actions that we are a Christian. I have a question for you. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Not, you know, do I, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Has there been a time in your life where you called out to Jesus Christ and were saved? This is our highest, highest privilege. It's our highest calling. <laughs> it's our greatest achievement. It's our greatest achievement. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, here's what I've asked you to do. Don't be ashamed. Come forward, kneel down at this altar. I'll take a Bible and show you how you can know, how you can know that you can have eternal life. Take that step of faith and say, you know what? I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Contact us page on our website or write to us at 2094 East State Route 73, Waynesville, Ohio 45068. And feel free to visit us if you're in the South Dayton, Ohio area.